I'm Pastor Daryl Curtis, and you're listening to the 19th part of my sermonic review of the biblical design of gender, in which my point is that human death is a temporary transitional situation and not a permanent state of being. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. Good morning on uh, a happy Easter morning, the 4th of uh, April. And our lesson for the morning is the 19th part of our sermon series on the biblical design of gender. And the text is in the 11th chapter of the book of John and the 25th and the 26th verses. And the Bible says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. God bless the reading of his word, and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear this message for today. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, our takeaway point in this series on the biblical design of gender is that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. And this being Easter, I need to break off our discussion in Jacob and, of Jacob and his family to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll go back to the book of Genesis in our next lesson. But the episode that forms the background for our text for the day is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 11 recounts that Lazarus's two sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus to let Jesus know that Lazarus's health was failing. Jesus, being omniscient, knew that Lazarus was not going to make it. As a matter of fact, Lazarus's demise was part of God's plan. So although Jesus could have healed Lazarus with a word from where he was, just as he healed the centurion servant in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus did not speak and allowed Lazarus to die. Now, our takeaway point makes the case that we are preparing for eternal life and the eternal life that we are preparing, for which we are preparing, 
cannot be lived on earth as we currently know it. Revelation 21, 1 through 4 informs us, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So we live lives to develop wisdom and knowledge, rather than to acquire cars, cash, and creature comforts, because these physical things will pass away when we go to the place that is ruled by the will of God. And the knowledge of the will of God and the wisdom to submit to it is what is required in that place. And it is wise for us to understand that human death is a temporary transitional situation and not a permanent state of being. In the case of Lazarus, it was God's will that Lazarus first die and then be raised from the dead as part of the background of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when Jesus himself rose physically from the dead. And Lazarus died in order to set the intellectual stage for Jesus's resurrection. Of course, neither Mary nor Martha, Lazarus' sisters, could see the big picture. They were focused on that which was right in front of them, and their problem was that their brother was dying. Now they knew that Jesus could heal the sick and give sight to the blind, so they sent their servant to Jesus because they wanted him to do something to fix their situation. After all, what is the point of having Jesus for a friend if he isn't going to come to see you when you want it? Well, my friends, that's the way that a lot of people think. They see Jesus as a cosmic errand boy that they can call when they need something. But my point in this series is that that which you want today may not be the most important thing. And acquiring that which you want may derail you from the wisdom and knowledge that you need. And if you don't believe it, ask Adam and Eve. So needless to say, Mary and Martha did not get what they wanted. The servant came back and told them, we told Jesus what you said. John 11 and 4 tells us that when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Martha asked the servants, well, what is Jesus doing? Is he on his way? He didn't do anything, and he didn't appear to be going anywhere said the servants. Now Martha was frustrated with the lack of a definitive response, but she hung her hopes on the pronouncements from the servants that Jesus said that this sickness was not unto death. And she and Mary continued to minister to their brother Lazarus. 
Imagine their grief, their sorrow, their disappointment, and even their anger when Lazarus died. But unbeknownst to them, Lazarus' death was exactly that for which Jesus was waiting. John chapter 11, verse 14 and 15 records, Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Well, thought the disciples, if Lazarus is dead, why go now? Just to hear the sisters complain? Since you didn't do anything when you had the chance, what's the point now? Jesus, nobody wants to see you at a funeral. They want to see you while the person is still alive. Well, that's not exactly true. Luke chapter 7, verse 12 through 15 tells us, And when Jesus came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then Jesus came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried the dead man stood still. And Jesus said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And Jesus presented him to his mother. So this mother was glad to see Jesus at the funeral. But the disciples, Mary and Martha, and everyone else concerned forgot about that. And when Jesus did show up, Martha had recriminations for Jesus. John chapter 11, verse 20 and 21 says, now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now I can see Martha with her hands on her hips, but Jesus looked at Martha. Sometimes we can look right at Jesus and not see what he's doing, but when he looks at us, things change. Martha suddenly recognized the lordship of Jesus from the intensity of the look that Jesus gave her. John 11:22 says that Martha backed up and then said, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So after Jesus' look, Jesus saw Martha's attitude change from disappointment and anger to hopefulness and anticipation. And Jesus spoke to her. John eleven twenty three 23 says, Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Jesus, what are you saying? Martha wasn't really sure, but she remembered her Sunday school lesson. John eleven twenty four 24 tells us, Martha said to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And just as Jesus had previously spoken to the disciples plainly, Jesus spoke to Martha plainly. John eleven twenty five and 26 tells us, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in, he, in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, it is wise for us to understand that death, is a temporary transitional situation 
and not a permanent state of being. Martha considered, is Jesus saying that he will raise Lazarus from the dead if I believe in him? Of course I believe in him. That's why I called him in the first place. So John eleven twenty seven 27 tells us, Martha said to Jesus, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is to come into the world. And that's all it takes. John three sixteen and 17 tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Martha and Jesus looked at one another. Then Martha sent for Mary. At Jesus' previous visit, Martha was in charge as she cooked the food and set the table while Mary sat and listened to the teaching of the Lord. But while Martha was busy working, Mary was having an experience with Jesus. And when Martha tried to call Mary away from the Lord to wait on tables, Jesus rebuked Martha. Luke 10, 41 and 42 tells us, and Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So don't worry about your perfect preparations for a meal while Jesus is in the house. Don't worry about any of the things of this life while Jesus is in the house. Use your experience with the Christ to acquire wisdom and knowledge, not things. The last time I went home to visit dad, I found that most of mom's stuff was either moved around or taken down. The island that sat in the middle of the kitchen throughout all my young life was gone. Mama used it every day to cook for her customers. My brother and I ate breakfast on it for 10 or 11 years, but now it's in the basement. Why? Mom is gone. Dad has a new wife, and she is changing the house around. It's nice to have things, but don't get it twisted. In the larger scheme of things, beautiful possessions are not important. Jesus said in Luke 21 and 33, Heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So Mary came fell down at Jesus' feet and repeated that which Martha said. But Mary had no recrimination for Jesus. Mary was simply mourning at having lost her brother. And rather than giving Mary a lesson as Jesus did Martha, Jesus simply responded with sympathy for Mary. John 11.35 says simply, Jesus wept. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus could feel Mary's grief, and he sympathetically wept because of it. A lesson for Martha and tears for Mary. Then Jesus went to the tomb to do that for which he came. John eleven thirty nine and 40 says, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, 
The sister of him who was dead said to Jesus, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Martha, Martha, would you please be quiet? Didn't nobody ask you nothing. You can't move the stone, so I wasn't talking to you. You don't have to make a comment about everything. Just stop talking. Martha, when it is foolish to speak, the wise say nothing, and you are supposed to be developing wisdom. You don't know everything, so stop arguing with the Lord and be quiet. I know you don't think that this is going to work, but wait and see what happens when you follow the Lord's instructions. John eleven forty one and 42 tells us, Then they took the, away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now we understand why Jesus waited to come until Lazarus was dead and buried. Jesus knows that faith comes by hearing the word of God and seeing its effects on our lives. Unless you are willing to listen and then do that which the Lord tells you to do, you cannot develop faith. And there is no point in thinking like Martha that your personal viewpoints, plans, or desires are relevant or important when pursuing the things of God because it is not true. I do not care what the sociologists and the psychologists say because God's instructions were smarter than theirs before they were born and God's instructions will still be better than theirs after they die. And Jesus might not come when you want him, but he's always right on time, on his time, on God's time. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So if someone claims to have a better plan than God, they are either deceived or lying. Remember Adam and Eve? How did their little plan to eat the fruit work out? So stop arguing with God. You can't think fast enough to keep up with him. Your arms are too short to box with him. Your best bet is to just do that which he says because you are going to do that which he says Eventually, Lazarus was dead, but he still followed instructions. John eleven forty three and 44 tells us, Now when Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. This was a remarkable event. Lazarus was a well-known, well-loved person, and his sisters were also well-loved. His community and the surrounding communities were in mourning with the family. 
Lazarus was in his prime and his death was a tragedy. Everyone was shocked when they heard the news and his funeral was one of the largest in recent memory. But Jesus came, raised Lazarus from the dead and changed everything. And there was a reaction from his detractors. John eleven forty five through 48 tells us, then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. Our place. Jesus raised a man from the dead and the Jews are worried about our place. It just goes to show you that no one is so blind as one who will not see. Why will the Jewish leaders not believe in Jesus Christ? Because if they do, they will lose their place. And what is their place? Their place is being in charge. When Jesus was about to raise Lazarus, Martha complained about the smell. Now that Jesus has raised Lazarus, the Jewish leaders are complaining about their place. Brothers and sisters, just face facts. God is in charge. And the only reasonable thing to do is accept that fact and bow before him. Don't argue with him and don't contend with him. Just bow and do that which he says. Now, I know that God has given us free will. God has given us free will for a purpose. God wants us to have dominion. But God also wants us to recognize that he has dominion over us and sets our limits. So along with free will, God has also given us instructions. And the first thing that we have to do with our free will is to decide whether or not we are going to do that which the Lord says to do. Yes, I know that you think that God has overlooked your perspective in his plan, but he hasn't. Yes, I know that you think that your addition to God's plan will make it better, but it won't. Yes, you have free will, but your free will is to be exercised within the confines of God's authority. But the Jewish leaders decided that a clear demonstration of God's authority was not good enough for them, and they had to maintain their place. So they decided to do so. John eleven forty nine through 53 tells us, and one of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only, but also that Jesus would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put Jesus to death. And that was their free will.
God has given each of us free will to make a heaven or hell decision. The Jewish leaders came in contact with the man, Jesus Christ, who raised Lazarus from the dead, an act that could only be described as the power and the work of God. And the Jewish leaders decided to kill Jesus rather than acknowledge him so that they could keep a tawdry earthly kingdom. The Jewish leaders decided to kill Jesus the Christ so that they could have their way. The Jewish leaders decided that they would rather be sub-rulers under the lordship of Rome than members of the kingdom of God. And this was a bad decision. The sons of Korah sang to God in Psalm 84 and 10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God then dwell in the tents of wickedness. But not the Jewish leaders. They chose to dwell in the tents of wickedness, and they plotted to put God to death, and God allowed them to do so. In Matthew 27, 22, the Roman procurator spoke to them. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said to him, Let him be crucified. And Pilate couldn't believe it. He had to question them again. Matthew 27, 23 records, And the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. But Mary understood. She sat at Jesus' feet and listened to him explain that he had come to die, that the sins of the world might be forgiven. Jesus explained to Mary that all men owe a debt to God that is beyond our ability to pay because of our own personal sinfulness. And there's no point in comparing your sin to the sin of anyone else, especially someone who is worse than you, because when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, you will be the one being judged and the other person sins will be irrelevant. Whether you have sinned once, 10 times, or a million times, you are still a sinner, and that's a fact beyond which you cannot get. So it doesn't matter if you haven't killed anyone, if you have never been to jail, or if you've never committed adultery, or if you've never had or fathered a child out of wedlock. Judgment is not about that which you have not done, but rather that which you have done, and you have done something sinful. And don't say but. At the throne of God, there are no buts. There's no justification, and there are no arguments. Isaiah 64 and 6 says, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So we are all sinners, whether we go to church or not. And there's no point in being proud of the fact that we have not done this or that because we have done the other thing. You may be better than me, but the problem is that neither one of us is good enough. And that's the way it is. This is Walter Cronkite, CBS News. Good night. And Jesus knew it 
So on the cross of Calvary, Jesus gave his life as a substitute for ours. You and I should have been the ones on that cross because we are the sinners and the wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ's death on the cross came after he lived a perfect and sinless life, so there was no reason for him to die. The Jewish leaders couldn't answer Pilate's question of what evil Jesus Christ had done because Jesus Christ had done no evil for them to name. But although we die because of our sinfulness, Jesus Christ chose to die, although he had done no sin in our place for our sin. Paul explains in Philippians chapter two, verse five through seven, when he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus Christ made himself of no reputation voluntarily. Jesus Christ is equal with God, but he decided to make himself as humanly frail as a man. And Paul continues in Philippians 2.8, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. God told Jesus Christ that you and I should be up there on the cross but that he, Jesus Christ, could voluntarily choose to die on the cross as our substitute. And Jesus Christ's humble obedience to the plan of God would save us from our sins. And Jesus did not argue with God. He didn't talk about the smell, as did Martha, of the stinking sinful thieves with whom he was crucified, nor did Jesus talk about the fact that death would cause him to lose his place, as did the Jews, as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for a few hours. Although Calvary was a stinking place of torture, and although death was not befitting someone that was equal with God, and although the humiliation of giving up his place as the master teacher and dying on the cross of a crim as a criminal, was not befitting someone who was in charge, Jesus Christ decided not to argue or avoid, but to obey the order that God gave him. Jesus simply did that which the Lord told him to do. And God was watching. Philippians 2, 9-11 records, Therefore God has also highly exalted him, and has given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus Christ offered the sacrifice and gave his life on the cross, and God accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice, and just as Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, God raised Jesus from the dead. And those changes, the change of death to life and the change of sin to righteousness is what our celebration today is all about. 
Exodus 29, 41 tells us, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer it with the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And the stench of Calvary is replaced by the sweet aroma of the eternal sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made. The loss of position that Jesus suffered as he hung on the cross is replaced by a name that is above every name. The broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ is replaced by a new body that is incorruptible. John 11, 25 and 26 tells us, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes it clear that it is wise for us to understand that human death is a temporary transitional situation and not a permanent state of being. We are assured of this because Jesus Christ himself rose physically from the dead, and we will as well. 1 Corinthians 15, 50-58 assures us, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit, inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, meaning die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we will change into our new incorruptible bodies and take our places in the new earth with the wisdom and knowledge that we have amassed in this life. And our leader will be Jesus Christ, the one with the wisdom to give up his authority temporarily and voluntarily in order to become the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus' sacrifice and temporary death led to his permanent position as our Savior and our eternal life. So as we go down from this place, let us believe in and remember that which Jesus Christ has done for us, as Jesus told us in John eleven twenty five and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And that is our lesson for today. 
let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for our lesson, and we ask you, Lord, that you would help us to understand the reality of your resurrection and what it means to us in our lives. Help us to recognize that we did not come here to stay, that we are here just for a while, but one day we will have to walk that same path that Lazarus walked when he died, that Mary and Martha walked when they died, and that you walked when you died, that we'll have to go down from this place and go down in death, but that there is a glorious resurrection on that first getting up morning when you will bring us to us to yourself if we trust in you and believe in your sacrifice that our sins might be forgiven. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today. And we ask you that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place. And bring us, then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.